All right, everybody, welcome once again to the Rec Poker Podcast. My name is Steve Fredland, and I am delighted to be your host and sort of uh, journey us together uh, on the way here. Uh, this week, we are going to pick up where we left off in our conversation with Tommy Angelo. Uh, this is part two of our two-week series with Tommy. Uh, so hopefully you will enjoy that. I just want to give a quick shout out to all the Rec Poker player uh, who are part of the panel of conversation with Tommy. Appreciate uh, everybody that's part of that deal. And also a shout out to Running Aces. Uh, they continue to be our sponsor and I appreciate all of the support and encouragement uh, that they give us and give the show. So with that, uh, here is part two of our conversation with Tommy Angelo. <laughs> uh, you, you, had, you had mentioned that um, you know probably the biggest leak that you'd seen pre-flop is playing too many hands. Uh-huh. Uh, what what would you say is a, one of the biggest leaks post flop? Oh, uh, bluffing too much out of position. Okay, that's it. That's the biggest <laughs> flop leak. Yeah, okay. So okay, so here's my no, no, here's yeah. my here's my speech on bluffing. <laughs> <laughs> um, what happens a lot of times is we get an accurate read on our opponent. We know they have something decent, okay? Let's say that we think they have an overpair. You know, they three bet before the flop, and they're super tight. And the flop comes, you know, whatever, 10, 9, 5, and we think they have an overpair, okay? So they bet, we raise them with our draw, let's say, and then they call, and they check the turn. And then we bet again, and the logic might be, they know that I know that they have an overpair. So obviously I wouldn't bet unless I could beat their overpair, so they should fold. So I'm going to bet. And then they don't fold, okay? <laughs> or some percentage of the time they don't fold. <laughs> right, right, right. So the way I look at it, and I'm not saying that's a bad bluff, but I will say a better time to bluff is when there's a chance they have nothing. Okay, this is the bluff I just described is a situation where you absolutely know they have more than nothing. Right. You know that for sure. Okay. But if you're in a situation where all your opponent did was check and it's your bet, in this situation, there is a greater than zero chance they have nothing, meaning they're going to fold a lot of times, right? When you bet. But if you know they have something and then you go to war and put in a lot of valuable bluffing chips to try to get somebody to fold a made hand that you know he has, my suggestion is to just save all of those chips instead of making one huge bluff, make five really, really good smaller bluffs when you know they might have nothings. For example, when they checked, right? That's why seed bets are effective. It isn't because, you know, they check and you bet. It isn't because there's something magical about seed bet. It's because one, two-thirds of the time, people miss the flop. Right. And if they check, there's even a greater chance that they're in that two-thirds range. And so your bet is going to work, right, a lot of the time. And so, um, yeah, just wait until you know there's a chance they have nothing. You know, another example of that, here's another really good example of that. Is, you know, this is a bluff out of position, but this is a good one. Um, the button opens, 100% range. You defend from the big blind. You check the flop, and he bets. And let's say it's a scattery kind of flop, like king 4-4, four, four. okay? Well, there's a really, really good chance he has nothing, right? This yep. is a situation yep. where there's a good – so this makes this a reasonable spot to bluff, 
you know. Right. Whereas if you had bet the flop, let's say, and he called. Right. And now you attempt to check raise bluff on the turn, that's wrong. Because you know he has something. Right. 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 A king four four rainbow. He's yeah. Yeah. Wait right. until there's a chance he has nothing before you. So I make a lot of medium sized bluffs. Very, very, very few big bluffs. Yeah, and I, I really like that idea too of of sort of thinking about it that way. Like I could make I could run one big bluff that maybe it works, maybe it doesn't, whatever. Or I could run yeah. five medium right. bluffs and they have a better chance of succeeding than a, a big bluff that right. That, that has and very if you little add chance. an EV of all of that, you're way ahead. I, I call right. it a bluffing bag. You know, it's like I've got a bluffing bag. I've got so many bluffing chips allocated, and I don't want to waste them. Right. And, and you'd mentioned, you know, even the, the biggest part of that is uh, bluffing post-flop out of position. So once again, it comes back to sort of your mantra yeah. of, you know, if you're, not, if you're not playing bad hands in early position, you're going to find yourself in that spot far less often as well. Exactly. You're going to yeah. have far less opportunity to make bad bluffs out of position if you're not, if right. you're, if you're playing poor hands or if you're not yeah. playing poor hands. Yeah. Very well. <laughs> let me, let me, let me pause one more time. See if the, the panel's got anything. Welcome Nels. <laughs> How you doing? Good, good, good. Good to see you. Well, let yeah, me, sorry. Oh, you're fine. <laughs> uh, well, let, let me shift gears a little bit then. Let's talk about some of the, the, the cool, well, if you have something you want to talk about, Tommy, we still got you know plenty of time here. But I'd like to just talk a little bit about you know all of these years that you spent in poker. Kind of, what are some of the the really cool, I mean, personalities you've met or cool moments that you've had in poker where you're just like, man, I'm I'm so lucky to kind of be in this mo, you know, being living this life or kind of can talk a little bit about your your experience as uh, being super close to the poker community. I've had so many wonderful experiences. I mean, the the really the thrilling time was for me was the nineties um, when I was first got good enough to beat the 2040 games in Vegas. And I was able to play with, um, you know, my mentors, I mean, Richard single, uh, single, it's a guy he was, he wrote one of the chapters in Doyle's book. I wrote, played with him, but I don't know how familiar you are with, with uh, Mason Mammoth and David Sklansky. Yeah. We're you know familiar them? with him. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I mean, they, hands, they, hands are nodding. They created modern poker in 1980. Well, Sklansky wrote the theory of poker, and then they right. wrote Hold'em for Advanced Players in 87. And then the, the I call it the Holy Trilogy, Ray Z. You know, Ray, when I was posted on 2 Plus 2, Ray was my favorite poster, and he used to come down from Montana and play in the Big No Limit game at Lucky Chances when I was a regular there. So I got to play with Ray a whole bunch of times. That was in the 2000s. But back in the late 19, 1990s, I was playing at Bellagio and Mirage with, uh, with Mason Malmuth and David Sklansky, you know, my idols, right? I mean, playing with these guys. And uh, uh, that was really exciting. You know, I've just had so many wonderful experiences. Uh, Bobby Hoff and Carl McKelvey are a couple old timers that, that come from the Doyle Brunson era, and they used to play in those games in Texas. Bobby Hoff was one of the top grinders in LA for many years, and he died a few years ago. He used to come; they used to come up and play in the Big No Limit game. And I write in Waiting for Straighters about taking Bobby Hoff to the airport, picking his brain for stuff. Carl McKelvey, um, you know, I mean, I have so many stories, but yeah. he's an old timer. Here's one. This was a, a moment of great ego gratification for me. Okay, so we're playing in this really high stake No Limit game. 
at Lucky Chances. I had not, I didn't know who Carl was or anything, but I could just tell he was a classy old guy. And so this can came up as a three-way pot and um, it was on the turn and villain one bet. I was second and Carl was third to act behind me. And it was a really dicey situation. I, I tanked and I was watching Carl as I always do looking left and trying to get some kind of read. I mean, I really needed to know what was going on with him before I decided what I was going to do. And I was getting nothing. Right. And so I folded or whatever. And then this was back when I used to chat a lot. And I said to him, um, there was some talk about the hand. I said, wow, you really gave great protection. Meaning he did the highly ethical thing, which was to not give any information about his intentions, even though he had to wait forever for me to decide. Right. And he said, Oh, I know you would have done the same. Mm. In other words, his read on me was that I was just as ethical a player as he was, you know, and we had only met like two hours before. And I was like, Oh, that's pretty cool. <laughs> anyway, that's not the greatest story in the world, but I've, I've been very that's fortunate cool. yeah. to have uh, like, okay. So, um, Antonio, I'm just going through name dropping time here. Antonio and well, Phil Lack. I, I pretty much set you up to do it, so you're good. What's that? I pretty much set you up to do that. So, okay. uh, Antonio and Phil used to play here in the Bay Area. So I used to play No Limit with those guys when they very, very first started, and they were coming to Lucky Chances game. I'm guessing that's around 2003 or four. And I played a couple um, home games at Antonio's house, and this one game, I mean. It, I don't know if you want a story like this. It's pretty amazing. So this was back right after, you know, they had all these rich young millionaires coming in because this is Silicon Valley, the computer world. So there was this guy named Ryan. He was a super loose, loose player. He played in the big game at Lucky Chances, and he came to Antonio's 2-5 game. So Ryan knew that Antonio and I were probably the only guys there that had any kind of deep pockets at all. And he wanted to, this is my read. He would kind of wanted to get a read on how much money was around. So he offered me this deal. He goes, let's cut one time. And I'd seen him do this before. He goes, I'll lay you 800 to 600. So we're cutting cards, 50-50. And if I win, I win 800. If I lose, I lose 600. <laughs> right? So I have to say yes to that if I have the bankroll. You're right. So if I've only got two thousand in my pocket, I'm going to have to say no to that because that two thousand is like worth ten thousand in a poker game against this guy. Right, right. But I had four thousand on, and I said, okay. So we did it, and I won. Okay, so now I had forty eight hundred. So in this game, at one point, I went. I was down to my last thousand. I would have been tapped out of the game, and I ran that last thousand back up to like twelve thousand. <laughs> So I ended up using his 800, his final 800. Right, right. And the reason I got down to that low, and it's about the only way it could happen in this game, I actually lost a one-outer to a straight flush on the what at that moment was the biggest pot of the night, a one-outer. And so I'm down to my last thousand. And I'm and this was when I don't think I'd started you no, know, I had not started meditating at all. I mean, I was like a total regular normal spaz, right? And I'm just <laughs> I'm like, I got to hold on here. I got to hold on here. I got to play great. You know, after the losing this one outer, right? right. I'm like, I'm on my last thousand. I got to hang on. And uh, it's funny how you remember the emotional spikes, but I remember that session. That was really, really intense. Um, yeah, so. Yeah, that was one, good. Um, and, uh, you know, another one that Eric uh, Holdman, um, Holdman, um, uh, what's his name? Big time player. He started up here too. Lindgren. Eric Lindgren. Oh, yeah. Lindgren. Lindgren. 
I played with him when he first started in 11. Okay. Um, well, yeah. Yeah, let, let me, let me, I was going to, I was going to ask you a bit about some of your books and stuff too, but uh, I know okay. you had a list of things that you thought would be really good for us to know. I don't know if you have anything burning on your list that you want to make sure you get to as far as advice for uh, rec players. Otherwise we can kind of touch on some of your books. Okay. Well, I do have one thing I want to make yeah. sure I get, which is a project that's coming up uh, with Lee Jones. So, you know, Lee Jones is, he worked for poker stars for like 13 years. Yep. He left, he left poker stars January 1st. And now he's playing for a living. He's 60 years old, like me and playing for a living. And, and he's starting a new coaching business. Okay. So Lee and I are going to do, start doing videos together. It's going to be like this, the two of us talking and it's going to be geared toward low stakes and it's called, it's going to be called poker simple. And it's going to be starting probably late this year and you'll hear about it. Um, you know, whatever Twitter and all that. Yeah. But we're really excited because I, I thought of it just now. Cause you said, do I have any advice? My advice is keep your ears open for this because I think we're going to be speaking to your people uh, in these videos because Lisa's, you know, basically a low and medium stakes player and that's all he's been around. You know, he's a huge lover of poker and all about the fun of the game. And uh, so that's coming up. Sweet. Yeah. Sounds fantastic. Go ahead. <clears throat> Um, but yeah, let me, let me just look at my, my little list here. Um, and guys, if you have anything else to chime in, feel free to just, uh, unmute and then I'll know that you want to ask a question too. Oh, well, we already beat position to death, but I did copy this one paragraph that was written by John Vorhaus 20 years ago. And when I read it back then, I was like, wow, this is awesome. And I used it in one of my articles. Here's what John wrote. I know of no truer truth of poker than everything's harder out of position. It's harder to bluff, harder to control the size of the pot, harder to get the right price for draws, harder to protect big hands, harder to know where your opponents are in the hand, harder, harder, harder. There you go. <laughs> Sums it up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. Yeah. But, but still. But it's queen. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, but. She's folding ace queen is not. That's what I do. That's sick. No, 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 okay. no, no. I'm just <laughs> folding the jack nines is what makes the right. different to yeah. regular players. Right. <laughs> right. Exactly. That's the line we're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, let's let's talk a little bit about. Uh, you know, we've talked a bit about uh, waiting for straighters, uh, painless poker. I, I'm curious. You know, talk a little bit about that. So, you know, you got several books, but painless poker came out, I believe, in 2017. You know, what do we mean when you talk about painless poker? What are you talking about there? Yeah. Well, what that means is you isolate and name all the different types of poker pain and you go after one of them one at a time and remove them. So one of the pains might be that you, uh, you're supposed to quit at midnight, but you end up playing till two every night and blowing back all your profit. Okay. So that might take five years to fix. Another another poker pain might be that you um, are underfunded, you know. So I'm thinking about you know non-strategy things, right? Sure. There's yeah. all sorts. Of so then there's the pain of while we're playing. Uh, maybe you're the type of person who's easily annoyed when people are talking politics from the other side of the aisle. Okay, maybe you um, get. Um, uh, upset when the waitress brings you the wrong food 
you know, maybe there's a rule in your casino that is, you think is really stupid. Any form of dissatisfaction or unhappiness or even impatience itself is a form of pain. Boredom is a form of pain. So painless poker means looking at every single thing you do around poker that causes you any form of anxiety or unhappiness and prioritizing making that go away. Uh, even if it sounds impossible. <laughs> you know, it's like, how do you get rid of the pain of losing a two-outer? Well, you don't. Can you reduce it? Yes. Every time you reduce the amount of suffering you go through from losing a two-outer, that means you're going to tilt less as a result. You're going to make more money, and you're going to enjoy the game more. So the idea of – so that's – so painless poker – I'll just tell you briefly about the book. Okay. It basically goes back and forth between fiction and memoir. All right. The opening chapter is memoir. It tells a story in 1995 about the most painful weekend of my life, going down to St. Louis and losing all my money brutally. And this terrible hand that I totally fucked up and, and you know, it was terrible pain. So then you get transported to a fictional setting called the Painless Poker Clinic. And it's me. It's a fictional version of me teaching a class to seven poker players for two days on how to remove the pain from poker. Okay, so you get to learn about these seven characters. They're all fictional characters made up, but each one of them represents like an iconic poker type personality. You know, you've got the online grinder. You've got the rich Asian guy who just plays on the weekend, blows 10 grand, all these different poker people. Right. And I'm teaching this class. So that's the bulk of the book. And then you go back to memoir about sections of my life and how I learned all this stuff. Um, and then it ends in, uh, this book also has a lot in it about meditation. So the whole idea of painless in, in itself, that whole word, that word itself is, has kind of a spiritual connotation mm -hmm. to it. And that's a big part of the book is how to directly use meditation at the table and away from the table to make poker less painful. And, and by pain, I mean everything, including, you know, impatience, like I said you know, envy, all of these things. <clears throat> so, okay. So I'm going to, I'm going to lay be my coach for five minutes or so. If that's okay. okay. I'll, I'll get some, I'll get some free advice for you from you. Sure. Um, so one of the things that I'm, I struggle with is, uh, you know, I, I love to go play. I love to have fun. I love the camaraderie. I love talking to people. I love chatting with people. Uh, you mm -hmm. know, having the podcast opens the doors for that too, but I actually love that quite a bit. Yeah. But what I, what I love even more is, is winning. <laughs> um, and I know that I play my best poker when I'm not chatting with people. Uh, mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Where I'm really, I'm in the zone, I'm focused, I'm watching chips, chip stack sizes, all of those things. And, I, and I'm constantly kind of going back and forth between how do I approach this? Like, because this is really fun, but I know I'm not as good of a player. Kind of going back and forth. And, and maybe it's unfair to put you on the spot, but I'm kind of curious what... Yeah. What, what suggestions you might have? Like, do I need to just kind of get over my, is it all about figuring out like, what do I really want from the game or, or what? Like, how do I manage that sort of, or, or is it possible for me to play my best game while still being sort of a pleasure to have at the table? Probably not, but you're already doing the right thing, which is examining it at all. You know, it's kind of a, kind of a path. Now, are you talking about live tournaments? Correct. Yeah, I'm almost exclusively a live tournament player. Okay, so so just to be sure I understand. So sometimes you put your headphones on and create a shell. 
around you? Pretty rarely. Like when I go to Vegas, I'll do that. Oh, okay. I'll create a shell, I'll put shades on and the and the and the and the headphones on. And when I play locally, oftentimes, like even even the other day I went and played and I'm going in, okay, I'm gonna start prepping for Vegas. Uh, I'm gonna right. wear the shades, I'm gonna get in my zone, I'm gonna be friendly but not in really engage. And when I get there, I'm like, hey, <laughs> you know, I, I just kind of get lost in the, it's super right. fun to see these, you know, it's like going to cheers, you know, you kind of, yeah. you know, these people and it's kind of fun. And I just, all of a sudden I'm like, what did I just do? I just punted right. off half my stack with Ace 10 or something, you know, where like, I know that's happening, but I can't yeah. seem to stop it. Yeah. Well, I mean, okay. So let, first of all, if you had the ability to stop it, would you? That's the other thing. You I would. Need- I would. Yes, I would. You would help. So how quiet would you be? <laughs> that's, that's the question, right? I, I think I'm willing to be totally quiet, right? But okay. I'm, I'm unable emotionally to, uh, you know, depending on, I mean, there's certain people at the table that make it easier to do that, but most of the people are, right. are friendly and, you know, I've kind of got, I don't have a reputation, okay. but I've kind of like, I think people would know something's up. It would be weird if I wasn't talking. Because they know you and they've seen you and all right. that. Yeah, right. Yeah. See, that, yeah, that's tricky. Okay, so when we have isolated, at least that you, you do want to talk less because you believe it'll, it's more profitable. Yeah. We've established that, right? Yep. Okay. Um, the, uh, when you do talk, okay, I, I'm going to get to a suggestion or two, but in, in elements of poker, I talk about mum poker, okay? And there's two kinds. There's maximum and minimum. Okay. Maximum is when you don't talk at all, or only when you're socially obligated to, right? Right. And then minimum is you can still talk, but you never talk about poker or anything real. You certainly don't talk about anything that happened at that table. So when you are chatting it up with somebody, if somebody says, hey, I love your podcast, you're absolutely going to say, thank you. You know, appreciate right. it. I mean, we're going to be mum to that. But but if you if you bet the turn and the guy folds and he says, "Did you have pocket queens?" <laughs> this is this is where I draw the line about what is okay to talk about and what's not okay to talk about. Okay. Yeah. So there's two issues. One is if you're going to talk, there are some things you should never talk about, and then the other issue is talking of any kind does cost you money, unless, and this is the other part. Some people, if they're quiet for half an hour, let's say, the buildup of the pressure of not talking in itself becomes expensive. It causes tilt. So it's a, everybody has to find their own balance. Uh, before I got to where I could go without talking at all and be completely comfortable the whole time, I was going through just what you went through. I need to talk less. I need to talk less. And, but I would still have some times where I was like, okay, I just need to talk now. Right. I just need it. So sometimes talking actually does reduce your tilt or improve your focus if you do need that at the time. So the discipline you need to have is the ability to shut it off. You know, it's going to start up whether sometimes out of your control, it's going to start up sometimes in your control. So what you need to do, and this is the same with all the tiltless, all the tilt stuff. We're always going to lose focus. We're always going to take bad beats. We're always going to be in our C game sometimes. The real skill is coming back to A game. Yeah. And that that takes training. So here's what you could do. Let's say you're chatting it up and you're feeling a little too chatty. And you you messed up a hand because then you're like, oh, 
put the headphones on, use a tool, use a Band-Aid, yep. right? Put the headphones on, don't make eye contact, people will stop talking to you. That's the greatest use of headphones, I believe, is to create a shell around yourself that says, I'm not interested in talking to you, especially internally, I don't think people mind, right? I mean, yeah. you're not creating bad blood by doing that, even among your following, I don't think. Right. No, I, th- I think you're right. I think it's, it's my my innate sense. I want to, you know, a people pleasing sort of thing that I feel I don't want people to think I'm standoffish or something. That's my own issue that I honestly have yeah. to get over. I have to get over. That's why I don't wear shades usually because I don't want people to think I'm that guy, even though I've, I love wearing shades because I, I think I play better and I pick up more tells. So I think I think that's you yeah. kind of hit on the crux of the issue is I just need to do what I need to do to be to, to play my best and not worry you about the rest of it. Yeah. Do you wear a hat? I usually do. Yeah. Because with a hat, you know, you can yeah. you can hide your eyes and you can control the line of sight very well to get some of the effect that you get from the shades of people not knowing where you're looking. Right. Which is good. Oh, that's that's good. why I wear a hat. So this that's is good. typically where I'll be. It's like I can see <laughs> people's hands in their mouth, but they can't see my eyes, so they can't tell where I'm looking. Right. That's good. Rob, did you have something there? Thank, thank you, Tommy. Yeah, I was thinking uh, you should be positionally aware when you're talking. So if you're going to take a couple of hands off and you want to get some talking done, do that when you're under the gun. Absolutely. Under the gun plus two. And then get back to your focus when you're in those later positions. Absolutely. And that that also reestablishes the cyclical nature of the round. And it really is. It's like you play the button, you play the cutoff, you maybe play the hijack, and then you kind of wait. (laughs) <laughs> and do your chatting. That's good. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Well, we, we got we got a little under ten minutes left, guys. What what other questions do you have there for Tommy? Anybody have anything? Rob? Well, I don't have anything other than to say I've uh, I read Elements of Poker. I've listened to you on a lot of podcasts. I started meditating myself probably about ten years ago. Wonderful. But it wasn't poker related. It was golf related. I wanted oh, nice. to get better at my golf game. And so I think meditation is very, very powerful, a very powerful tool to get you focused and to keep you focused in poker or in anything you do in life. Yeah, so absolutely. I really, I really like the way you profess that and are sharing that with, uh, with everybody. So it's great. Cool. Well, thank you. And, and, uh, Steve mentioned I did a, my most recent book is my first non-poker book. It's called Dailiness, How to Sustain a Meditation Practice. So anybody who wants to learn, um, you know, my thoughts on meditation, there you go. It's a short little book called Dailiness. I'm going to check um, it out. And congratulations to you for having your practice going. <clears throat> anybody else have any questions? John, Chris, Nels? All right. Otherwise, Tommy, what what else you got for us? We got a, got a few minutes left. Do you have anything else that's kind of burning, uh, either um, uh, either strategy wise or something that you've got coming up or something you want to plug a little bit? Well, I well I uh, I am doing uh, you know the coaching. You go to tommyangelo.com. All my articles are there. I'm doing coaching by the half hour and also by the day. You can read that if you want to do like live coaching in Vegas. Um, I've been writing a ton of strategy articles since I've been doing the coaching. So if you go to my articles, article section, like the top four or five are all strategy stuff. And um, yeah, keep your eye out for the uh, Poker Simple with Lee Jones coming up in the fall. 
And um, that's, I didn't really have anything else on my list. And have you ever, you know, we've, we talked a little bit, but do you do, do you ever do any like group coaching? I know you do one-on-one coaching. Do you ever do like, you know, a group of, you know, one of, one of the things that we're trying to do with, with the podcast is trying to make, you know, premium content accessible to the everyday player, which, you know, part of having people like yourself on there, I think does that, uh, yeah. you know, it does that. And I, I often think about coaching. We, we've done uh, recently a, uh, like a 10 week training session with, with the world series of poker bracelet winner to try to make it affordable because it's group coaching. And I know you've got a lot going on, but I'm just kind of right. curious, do, do you, have you done group coaching before where you actually work with three or four clients at the same time, or is teaching poker just such an individualized thing that it's, that would be very hard to do just trying to keep the cost down for the recreational player. No, I, I hear you. And that's what I've found. I haven't, I've really thought about it. I've developed possible products and, and packages for group and I've never pulled the trigger on it because of just what you said. Yeah. Cause my, my style is like, no matter who I'm talking to, I just start with questions. It's like, before I really feel I can give something that's going to be truly helpful, I got to know that person to some extent. And in a group situation, if it was the same four or five people every, every week for a number of weeks, well, absolutely, that could be great for everybody as everyone gets to know everyone. But just to go in cold with four people, I'd be asking questions for now. Right? I, I, right. I've thought, I just really don't see how that would work. Okay. Uh, you know, that, because that's coaching. That's different than lecturing. You know, right. It's, you know, I've thought about doing webinars where I say, okay, show up Friday at 10 and I'm going to give a 20 minute talk followed by a question and answer or whatever. That's a little bit different. I've thought about doing that. It is. Yeah. And I think that's the, that's what most, most coaching is or whatever. It's, it's a one way street. It's kind of, here's information for you to consume. And I think there's a lot of phenomenal stuff out there. One of the things that we're trying to do, as we talked about earlier is, you know, how do we make it interactive? How do we have dialogue? How do we you know, make it custom right. for, for who we are. And that's, that's tough to do without doing one-on-one coaching. So that's yeah. why we, we're kind of, we kind of keep tweaking and keep pulling on those threads, trying to find the magic formula to, uh, to make things affordable, yeah. but yet be interactive and kind of customized to, to where we're at. So uh, yeah. that's, that's a journey that we're kind of on. So we'll, we'll chat as we go forward and see if we can work something out. Okay. And I, I did think of one general piece of advice that I think is good for everybody, which is, um, Here's something you do, you know, right after you've taken a bad beat and you're feeling sorry for yourself, okay, is you take, push your chair all the way back and you sit all the way up straight for the next hand and you just say, wow, how lucky I am that I am playing poker right now. The greatest game that's yeah. ever existed and somehow my life has landed me in this chair and I get to play poker with all these other fellow poker lovers. That might sound a little corny, but if you do it enough times, <laughs> it can actually bring you back up in the moment of despair. That's really good. I, yeah, I think, I think gratitude is one of the most underrated uh, feelings that's out there. And I, I think that's kind of what you're getting at is the heart of that yeah. to, not, to not realize your world really hasn't ended because you're ace-king, you got to yeah. be my ace-queen. Right. Uh, you're you're right. still sitting there playing a game. Uh, We're in and, action. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. Well, good stuff, Tommy. Well, thank, thanks so much for being with us. Um, I uh, love, love this thing. What we'll do is we'll kind of chop this up. We'll do this as a couple of episodes. Um, okay. If you, if you think of anything else that you want to share with the folks, feel free to shoot me an email uh, and we can okay. make sure that we add that on the, the link or whatever. But uh, on behalf of Tommy, on behalf of John, Rob, Chris, Nels, I know Taylor was with us for a while. Uh, thanks everybody for being here. Uh, as always, we're sponsored by Running Aces, Racetrack and Casino. Thanks to those guys uh, for being our sponsor. And I guess with that, uh, good luck on and off the felt. All right. Tommy, thank you so much. Really enjoyed it.
See All you guys. Right. Bye. You can go ahead and we're going to stay on Tommy, but you can uh, go ahead and uh, leave the meeting there. Okay. I'll leave the meeting. Yep. And uh, all right. See you later. We'll be in touch. Thank you, sir. Okay, bye. All right, guys. Well, thank, thank you. Uh, anything kind of stand out? We've got, just, you know, we have Matt's going to be joining us uh, within probably about five to five to eight minutes or so. So we'll cut off once, once he joins us, we had to flip around. Obviously you figured that out. We flipped around who was on first, but anything kind of stand out from that conversation? Well, the question you ask there, Steve, um, one of the things that really stood out to me was, you know, he said, you have to have balance. Um, and I know you and I spent a lot of time together. And one of the things that we discussed was having balance and that's balance away from the table. Um, you know, in other aspects of your life in order to be successful and all the different things that you're trying to do. Um, but balance sitting at the table, you know, and if you're, if you're struggling with how much you should talk or not talk, you know, it's, I think it's just a matter of time and practice and finding that balance where you're social enough, but at the same time, giving yourself the opportunity to continue to be successful at the table. I think, I think you're spot on. And I think I need to be intentional about figuring out what is that balance point? Because I think I, I tend to let whatever the situation, I just kind of get sucked into it. If people aren't really talking, I don't really talk. And then I focus more. If people are talking, I get caught up in it and I'm not really in control of uh, my, I don't really choose my level of engagement, which I need to do a little bit better job of. That, that's good. Nels. Rob, oh, you have a follow up now. I was going to say one of the things that I've been doing when I, when I talk at the poker table, is I consciously try not to talk about the hands, yeah. not talk about what's going on at the table. I conscious, and I have to consciously do that because it's so natural. Some of you will make a comment about a hand or this, that, or other. It's so natural to talk about the hand, and you really don't want to. You want to focus that conversation around the Game of Thrones or or something else that's going on that you can distract, the, just get distracted from it. Um, and I love that a little bit, um, that I think, uh, you know, one of the things Fox spoke to in that whole uh, conversation with other players is what are you learning about them from that? So try to be intentional about trying to pick out different things about that player based on what they have to say, where they're from, what they do, you know, whatever it is they're talking about, what can we learn about them as a player, um, and try to if you try to use that focus a little bit, perhaps that'll help you keep your focus on the game and not necessarily so much on, on the, uh, the conversation itself. Um, the other thing is, you know, my, my father would always tell me, you know, if you are at work, but you're thinking about home, then obviously you need to have a little more time and focus at home. Um, and I would say the same thing would be true at the poker table if you are sitting there talking to someone and you are engaged in what they're saying and the conversation that you're having with them, um, then obviously perhaps there is a need there for a little different kind of balance away from the table also. Um, um, so, you know, maybe that's something you should, uh, you know, try to have your fingers on the pulse of, um, you know, in your own life. I mean, I, I only you can answer that question. Um, uh, but yes, you know, like you said, try to be conscious of of where you're at uh, at the table and and what you're talking about and and how often you're drifting away from the game and and your focus is is falling away. 
Yeah, I think I think that's a really good point. I know it's kind of made it about me. I apologize, but you know, in that as we're all sort of assessing our own game, I think that's super true of me. You know, I was in the corporate world for 30 years and five months ago went out on my own. And so now a lot of my day, I do some coaching and consulting and stuff. A lot of my day I'm holed up in my office and I'm just working on stuff, which I love because I'm an introvert. Right. But so I, I go to the, I go to the plate poker and it's like, Ooh, people, <laughs> you know, let, let me talk to people. Hey people, how's your life? You know? So whether it's poker or not, I think, you know, I think you might be onto something there too, where that is sort of uh, that has become sort of my social arena versus before it was almost like my escape from people was to go play poker, which sounds kind of odd. Uh, but it, I use poker as more of an escape from my, my real life. And now it's uh, become my, my social construct, I guess. Interesting. Good stuff. Anything else kind of stand out there? I know we, I, we kind of veered away from strategy and I was hoping to do more strategy and I kind of veered us away there, but did anything kind of stand out strategy wise to you guys at all that you took away, Chris? I mean, I just, the, the sort of the, just, remembering to play positionally. I mean, it's something we're always, it's, it's pretty basic, but the way he talks about it and the discipline that it takes, um, I think is really important because I mean, you know, I tell myself every time and then I, you know, I get the seven, eight suited, um, under the gun and I'm like, well, but, and especially if I've been card dead for a while and I'm just like, well, but this could flop a monster, you know, and so <laughs> right. I, I just, there's there's knowing it and doing it and i like the way he sort of like talked about it so i agree but also also keep in mind uh tommy is mainly a cash game player yeah well so if you're playing 100 big blinds deep cash you can sit there forever and wait for a hand but when you're in a poker tournament and the blinds are going up and the blinds are going up you cannot do that it's more uh stack dependent at that time so when he said 30% is uh, what a professional poker player can make a living doing is only playing 30% of the hands, that's very, very doable if you're playing 100 big blind deep cash. Because now you're playing what? You're playing the hijack, the cutoff, and the button. That's it. That's 30% of the hands, right? Because <laughs> yeah. that's three hands around, three hands in orbit. So, yeah, it's a totally different game when we're talking uh, – you know, tournament poker where the blinds are going up, you don't have a choice. You have to get involved with maybe less than premium hands and sometimes out of position. Yeah, I, I totally agree. So I think the percentages fall down. He kind of was the first one to say, oh, no, and for tournament, it's a lot different. But but I think mm-hmm. he would still argue, and everybody we've talked to would really argue that the ranges by position are, are huge. And obviously, we know you know part of that is because there's that many more people left to, you know, to act after you that can wake up with a hand. But all the stuff that Tommy mentioned, you know, it's hard to extract value and, you know, it's, you know, yep. you're not last to act. I mean, just all of those things, you can't check back. Uh, you know, all of those things are a huge consideration. So it's beyond just, you know, the fact that you're, you know, people are left to act after you, you know, that could wake up with a big hand. It's just so much more dynamic than that. And I'm still, you know, one of the things that I've, that really kind of, I guess, knocked it home for me was, you know, how many times I would play, you know, hands out of position and I would, you know, flop a monster or turn a monster. And I just can't get value. And it's so frustrating. And kind of like what he said, I know if I'm in position, I can extract value here. Either they're going to bet at me or I can bet and it looks, you know, they're going to think it looks bluffy or whatever. Uh, you know, just nothing worse than having a monster and like, okay, do I check here? You know, whatever that is. So I just, I, I think position is so huge. Okay. Anything else that, that stood out? Otherwise we can take a little break till Matt joins us. John. One of the things I noticed or I like about it is, 
he has an approach that kind of um, helps against mental, mental fatigue. You know, he has the, he knows exactly, this is the range that I'm never opening. This is the range I'm always opening. And this is the questionable range. So he doesn't have to think about any of that stuff anymore. And um, he also plays around with it to see what works for him or what doesn't work for him. Uh, and I think it's fascinating. I know when I play cash, I play way too many hands, even when I'm trying to tell myself not to. Right. So uh, it's it's interesting listening to his approach. I agree. That's, you know, I went through that process of trying to figure out my opening hand ranges and I tweaked them a little bit or whatever, but that was almost the best thing that came with that deal was just, I would just look at the, you know, where I was in position and go, okay, two, three, four, you know, pocket sevens are better suited, you know, 10 X, X 10 are better, you know, whatever our offsuit to, you know, jacks are better. I just know if it's not in there, I just fold. And, you know, I mean, maybe you need to be more fluid or whatever, but kind of to your point, John, it's just the mental energy is just like, it wasn't hard then, you know, I pick up ace eight. I just know I'm going to fold it. You know, I don't have to sit there and question, oh, ace eight. Yeah. That seems like a pretty good hand. You know, oh, you know, queen nine, that seems pretty good. You know. I've already decided what I'm going to play. And I think to your point that the mental energy that is saved by having decisions pre-made for me, that, that helps so much as you get into the longer terms, especially once you've, you know, you're eight and a half hours into a day one. And then the next day you're going to play another, hopefully six hours, you know, those, all those mental things that you can save, uh, I think are, are fantastic. All right. Well, we're going to cut it off right there. We are joined by another guest. So we had to kind of cut that conversation pretty short, pretty quickly. Uh, But uh, just once again, thanks to Tommy Angelo for giving us about an hour and a half of his time. Thanks to the rec poker players uh, who were part of the panel and others who listened in. And just so you know, you're welcome to listen in on these when we record them. Typically, it's Monday night. Uh, We just have a few people that are our panelists, but we invite anybody who wants to actually listen in. And you can actually submit questions by chat if you want during the conversation. And then at the end of the interview, um, you're welcome to actually uh, join in on the conversation that we record and uh, make part of the of the podcast. So you're welcome to do that. Uh, there is a link online. Uh, otherwise, just feel free to reach out to me, Steve, at recpokertraining.com, and I can help you uh, facilitate uh, that. But uh, it's always fun to learn a community. And I know we've got a ton of people out there listening. So if that if you want that to be you, uh, again, join in, you can listen in, uh, send a chat question, you don't have to participate, you can literally just listen in. And then uh, if something comes up that you want to ask, uh, you can feel free to jump in there. So with that, we're going to cut it off there. Uh, thanks again, Running Aces, uh, for all your support. And good luck to all of you on and off the felt. Take care. <laughs>